Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore, and welcome to the Framestore podcast, a learning and talent development focused podcast made by Framestore for Framestore. In this two-part episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Lara Hopkins, our new Head of Studio for Framestore Melbourne. This episode has been in the works for a while, the brainchild of Kathleen Ruffalo, Recruitment Manager of Framestore USA, who also joins this episode as our co-host. I loved recording this episode with Lara in Sydney, Kathleen in Houston, Texas, and me in London. This was a truly global discussion with two VFX heroes at the top of their game. So here we go. Episode 37, part one with Lara Hopkins and Kathleen Ruffalo. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of the Framestore podcast, episode 37. Every two weeks, we invite both a guest from our global Framestore community and a co-host with a keen interest in our guest's role, craft or career path, and we let the magic happen. On today's episode, I warm them up by inviting our guests to the Framestore podcast daily session, our 13 question grilling, followed by Thursday's second part, where our co-host leads a deeper dive into why we invited them on the pod in the first place. Our special guest this week is Lara Hopkins, our new head of studio for Framestore Melbourne. Lara began her career as a producer's assistant at the 3D animation facility Anifex in 1992. After four years in her role, she took on a producer position at Extro Design, where she worked for a year. In November 97, she took another significant step in her career by joining Animal Logic, then a short stint at Saatchi and Saatchi's Hong Kong office, followed just over two years later. Then we see the first of three terms at Framestore. In 2001, Lara joined us for a four-year stint as a CG manager, then a three-year term at Rising Sun Pitches followed, with a recruitment-focused and then studio management role. In the summer of 2009, Lara then took on a big gig, a big gig, of course, as resourcing consultant for Happy Feet 2 at Dr. D Studios, crewing up the team from 100 to over 650 people. Now a recruitment titan, Lara returned to Framestore in late 2012 as our New York Studios head of recruitment for just over a year, then as global recruitment consultant for integrated advertising worldwide for the best part of six years. The summer of 2019 saw Lara spend over four years at ILM Sydney, where she rose through the ranks from consultant to director of talent management, bringing us neatly up to date when Lara rejoined Framestore, heading up the mighty Melbourne studio. Our co-host for this conversation is Kathleen Ruffalo, recruitment manager for Framestore USA. Kathleen began her career in the entertainment industry in 2010, working as a production assistant on a string of reality TV series, including Hell's Kitchen, Big Brother and Dancing with the Stars, before making the shift to scripted television, which included working as an office PA on the final season of the long-running series House. In the summer of 2012, Kathleen joined Framestore, helping to launch our Los Angeles studio, where she ascended from production to crew management, to recruitment manager, where she's been since late 2019. 
Kathleen is also a passionate member of the Access VFX community, co-leading the US chapter with incredible outreach events, changing lives across the states and beyond. Something she has in common with Laura, who was a key contributor to the launch of Access VFX Oceania just over three years ago. So there you go. That's my very, very long-winded intro, and rightfully so. I hope I did a good job. That was almost one take. Welcome to the podcast, Kathleen and Lara. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you both? I'm very well, thank you, Simon. Thank you for the invitation to come onto the podcast. Very well, thank you, Simon. It's so nice to be here. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And uh, this was uh, your idea, Kathleen, wasn't it? I remember you dropping me a, a G-chat um, at some point. I mean, I, before I actually heard the news about Lara joining, you're, you, you planted the seed. And I was like, oh, interesting. And then the announcement came. I had a little inside scoop, Simon, not going to lie, that Lara was coming back and was very <laughs> excited. So saw it as a perfect opportunity for us to introduce her and would be honored to be a part of that process. And we made it happen. It's good to know I've got like a strong underground network at Framestore. I get these like <laughs> healthy tip-offs of uh, what's going on in the future. And, you know, we made it happen months later, but definitely worthwhile. And actually a good time to have this conversation, right, Lara? Because you've been with us for a good few months now. You've got your feet well and truly under the, the Melbourne table. Yeah, I think it's been about, so this is probably around my 12th week. I will have to stop counting the weeks. And it's been a, a incredibly... I feel like I'm sprinting very fast to uh, get back into the frame store culture and and the global network, and it's been a huge honour to be to be back third time. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's a first for me because I've only been here a few years, so I get to uh, get to work with you as a as a colleague uh, for yeah term term one as far as I'm concerned, Lara. And how how has your first three months been? How are you how are you finding it? Or, or four months, should I say, if it's been 12 weeks? Yeah, it's been challenging. It's been exciting. Um, I've loved um, getting to know everybody in the Melbourne studio. It's an incredible um, team down there who are, are very close-knit and um, have worked together for a very long time, many of them. So there's some really lovely parallels with mm. Framestore. Um, because on the on the one side, I'm getting to know people that have worked in the Melbourne studio for, you know, 20, 25, up to 30 years. Nice. On the other hand, I'm coming back to Framestore where I'm speaking to people like Kathleen and working mm. with um, uh, our head of CG in Melbourne is somebody that I worked with in 2001. And so mm. it, it's a lovely feeling of coming into a really sort of family environment again it makes yeah. coming to work every day um just lovely how, how does it feel joining Framestore now that we've kind of grown with you know with the studio in Mumbai now obviously there's Melbourne there's Vancouver you know Montreal's blown up you know does it feel a little bit different or does every term feel a little bit different well the thing that's interesting about my our work at Framestore over the years is that I've been involved in pretty much every single studio expansion except for Vancouver and Melbourne and Mumbai so of course, um, right. I was in London um, helping to open New York um, I was in New York uh, helping to open Montreal and then Kathleen and I worked together on opening Chicago and LA so in a way I've worked in most studios so since I've been gone the four four or five years that I've been gone of course Mumbai has been added and Vancouver mm -hmm. and Melbourne um, when the Mel mm -hmm. Melbourne studio was announced um, 
I, I, it felt very weird that I was in Australia with an Australian frame store studio and I had nothing to do with it. And I remember at the time just feeling sort of, I've been wanting this to happen for so long yeah. and it's here. So in a way it did feel like the right thing to do to come back and, and be part of frame store. And also I think the, the, the long relationships and connections that I've got across mm. most of the studios is really helpful in Melbourne. We're a long way away. Um, the closer we can feel to the to the global studios, the better. And it's surprising how just being able to know who to ask or being able to introduce people yeah. just smooths out those connections and makes them so much more meaningful. And I'm hoping that's something that I'm bringing to the to the role in Melbourne to sort of bring Melbourne in and and make you know help Melbourne feel part of the team and also to shout from the rooftop about the team down here mm. so that everybody you know in the northern hemisphere also knows about us so you know I, I think it's a it's a fantastic sort of combination of roles really. That's brilliant that's brilliant and you mentioned that uh, you and Kathleen met back in the day when you were running the show for uh, for the IA for the IA crew when you were in the states I mean tell me a bit about how you you both met because uh, as I said, this was Kathleen's idea, and we had a bit of a preamble before we hit record. I assumed you'd been involved in the recruitment process, but no, apparently you guys literally met back in the day. So tell me about that encounter and what's led us to this uh, conversation now. You go, Kathleen. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Lara was working out of New York at the time when I joined Framestore in Los Angeles. Uh, so when we were looking at expanding the team in LA, I was, you know, just entered into mm. the visual effects industry. So was technically reception slash production assistant slash runner slash whatever they needed me to be. Cause there was only five of us in the Los Angeles office at the time. A lot of slashes there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of slashes for a while. Um, but Lara was uh, working out of New York and helping the mm. LA team expand. And she came out because there was a big VES career fair, because at the time it was mm. when Rhythm and Hughes had closed their LA location. So there were a lot of people on the job market. And so she came out to attend and asked if I would join. And I said yes, and was very happy that uh, was I was able to be a part of it. And it was probably the most overwhelming job <laughs> fair I've ever been to through my career to this point. Um, it, I think we probably met at least 100 people, if not more than that. We had a line like wow. around the building waiting to speak to us. And I felt so... Uh, humbled, I guess. I was meeting people that had just won Oscars for working wow. on Life of Pi. And I was like, I'm a receptionist. You're handing me your resume looking for a job. But we got through it. And, you know, I think we're able to kind of keep our wits about ourselves <laughs> throughout the long day of saying the same thing over and over again, as it is in those job fair situations. Mm. Um, but that was kind of my first introduction to the potential of recruiting. And then yeah. Lara and I kind of worked together over the years since. That's so cool. So did that encounter, how did that come around, you having the opportunity to interview all those people? And was that the kind of the moment where you thought, this is what I want to do as a career, Kathleen? It was definitely a shifting point because up until then, I thought I wanted to be a producer mm, uh, and I hadn't really had as much exposure to what it actually meant to be a producer. But seeing what Lara's role was and kind of her involvement 
uh, I definitely kind of got the inclination to shift more towards kind of a talent focused role as opposed to a producer role that's a little more client centric in my view. Um, So yeah, it definitely changed the trajectory, I think. So this is quite a this is quite a lovely episode to, to host then. So this is almost full circle, Lara. You know, this is uh, from your mentorship and inspiration back in the day. We now have Kathleen doing her incredible job over in Texas, kind of recruiting everyone in America, pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, that's incredible. It's the highlight of my career to have met so many amazing people. And as you said, 1992. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. I am ancient. I so this is your ancient. life, right? And so, yes, exactly. So there, there are moments, you know, there are moments, you know, where I meet people that I just absolutely walk in, you know, next to and love working with and feel very supported and mm. fun. And this is why we work, you know. Yeah, totally. It is about, obviously, what we see on the screen. But the joy from my career has been um, having absolutely wonderful relationships and and really being able to sort of work in a collaborative and a positive way. And yeah. Kathleen is 100% one of the people that over the last, you know, uh, over the last years has been a real highlight for me. So mm. um, it, it, it's it, it's also why I wanted to come back to Framestore. People like Kathleen and others who I've, you know, really feel very close to from a sort of philosophical work point yeah. of view. And, you know, we share the same values. Um, that that's That's why we work. And that's what makes the company different to, to have those relationships. So, yeah, it was a it was a great day. And uh, I remember very clearly at the end of the day, it's sort of thinking either Kathleen is going to love this or she will never ever <laughs> want to do this again because it was I'm really, out. really yeah. full on. Visual effects isn't for me, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. We left sort of sort of hardly able to speak a word, but feeling that, you know, it had been a good day. I think Kathleen... <laughs> Yeah, but isn't like 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 what I love about this story is that ripple effects that you have just by giving somebody an opportunity, making time for someone, uh, empowering someone, delegating responsibility, whatever that act of kindness or or uh, agency is. That what that ripple effect can mean. It can just be literally a drop in a pond, and it could be like a, a ocean of opportunity or somebody's career. Like in this this example, Kathleen's career trajectory could have gone in one of many directions, but it definitely changed as a result of, you know, kickstarting that, that, that LA experience. I just think it's such a cool example of the power of, whether it's the power of mentorship, power of leadership, I don't know, but I just want to take a pause to recognize that because I think it's really, really cool. I think that's why, um, for me, recruitment has always been intertwined with my career mm. because, um, and, and in my role now, even more than ever, so I think when people think about recruitment as being an HR function that's administrative, it's absolutely wrong. It's all about building relationships and recognising a spark in somebody that no, nobody else can see. Yeah. And then if you get the opportunity to then sort of mentor that spark and guide them and shape their careers, um, you, it's it's a, a, a wonderful part of all of our roles. And I think if you... I have a habit of listening to a management podcast. That's my thing um, when I walk my dogs. And I've heard a number of people say when they talk about being a leader that as you um, progress through your career, um, really that part of team building and selecting the team around you and recognising yeah. that spark um, 
it becomes a bigger and bigger part of your role because you're surrounded by people who are actually sort of doing the the the, the hard work but what your role is is to get the right combination yeah. of people together and that's where the recruitment side of things has really helped me particularly now because I've got that instinct for people that I think is is really useful you know I've, I've just hired um, an EA and I did five interviews and I knew within the first uh, three seconds of meeting my EA who started this week that she was the one and now I'm thinking about how long will she be my EA what can she do next where can I point her which direction might she go in because for me that's the best part of of working with someone is seeing where they might end up and it's such a responsibility for everyone isn't it to I mean it's a cliche to say pay it forward but it genuinely is I think anybody who doesn't engage with mentoring or or giving back, I think, is, you know, arguably quite selfish because somebody would have given you that leg up, given you that opportunity. And it's about keeping that chain of events going, I think. And everything you're saying completely, completely speaks to that. And I think in, in visual effects, um, where, as you would know, Simon, um, training can be casual yeah. and very much learning on the job. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the whole visual effects industry has been relied very heavily on um, people mentoring others, even in a very um, unofficial way. I'm sure every artist can talk about that sort of senior person who they sat next Mm. to, who sort of gave them the hints and they could sort of follow their careers and learn from them. And actually not wanting to completely change the conversation, but it does take us back to hybrid working and why it is that it is important Mm. that we have people in the studio so that those juniors can sit next to those people or have yeah. people around them or see people in meetings or ask questions of somebody that they're not going to ask in a, in mm. a, in a G meet. Um, otherwise, our, our juniors just will not develop the way we had opportunities yeah. to develop. And uh, that, that, that's a whole other topic that we could probably do another podcast about. But it's certainly very high on my mind at the moment because I just can't see how we can sustain our industry if we've got... Um, everybody's sitting at home in their studies or in their bedrooms and for our juniors they're missing out on a really important part of their career life cycle in the early in the early years so yeah I mean that 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 was a lot of one of the reasons why we put the global mentoring program in place as a global connection just to create those those encounters a little bit almost engineer those encounters because it wasn't happening it's starting to happen more now because we're returning to spaces but it's not in the the volume as it was pre-pandemic and it's trying to find a way to whether it's recreate that or bring it back in a different way but people still get that face time you know but a lot of it is like you say it's absorbing it isn't it it's those yeah. unplanned encounters yeah. tend to be the most meaningful rather than the, it is. the the setup you know half an hour online calls so it's not easy for sure yeah 100 percent Speaking about shaping careers, because you used that term, Laura, it would be remiss of me not to talk about access for your effects because I'm kind of quite excited to have you both on this call because Kathleen, you're a, I would say a critical member of the uh, the Access for FX USA chapter in terms of the leadership. And Laura, you were pivotal in setting up Access for FX Oceania and uh, getting the mentoring program out in New Zealand and Australia as well. So you're both here, both with both hats on, because that's where, where I know you both really pre me joining frame stories we were connected via the um the access for effects movement so obviously thank you for your service i'll say that word thank you saluting 
But uh, yeah, I mean, again, that speaks to what you've both been talking about around the, your passion for people and working with people, whether it be Kathleen, you talk about, you know, working in a talent role and what that means to you and Laura as a, as a, now a studio lead, but also with that talent recruitment DNA. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of draw attention to that for obvious reasons. Access VFX is just such a, a force in the industry. And Kathleen, I've been admiring your amazing work in the US on, on, with everything that you do with Access VFX. It's very inspiring for us down here. And if we can sort of gain the traction that you, um, you know, have, have done in the US, we'll be very happy. It, it, we started down here in the middle of COVID and um, I think that was really hard. So I do think that um, that, that hopefully we can sort of freshly boost up the access VFX down here yeah. it's still so desperately needed you know I've, I've joined a new studio obviously and I'm looking at the the, uh, the the data around our team makeup and it, it's it feels like you know one step forward two step back steps back but it's important yeah. that we talk about it and the access the role of access VFX in reminding us all about our, our you know our obligations and you know our values is really important in day-to-day visual effects life really absolutely couldn't have put it better myself Laura and uh, yeah I mean if uh, I ever get hit knocked down by a bus tomorrow I'll be leaving actually effects in my world probably to one of you you two so uh, watch out yeah attend the uh, <laughs> attend the VFX funeral <laughs> Try, try not to get hit by a bus, Simon. I, I, I actively uh, avoid buses on a, on a daily basis. Um, this is what going to be one of I knew this was going to be one of those podcasts where I get so lost in kind of conversation that I forget that we, I have a, a moral responsibility to unleash the, the podcast dailies. And there's so many questions that I want to ask you both about your roles and Laura, obviously, about your leadership role. I don't want to steal Kathleen's thunder because I've... Uh, I've seen the pre-prepared question Kathleen's got ready for Thursday's episode, so I'm not going to lean too much into leadership because uh, Kathleen's got some great questions. But uh, yeah, and also I want to ask a number of questions about your role in Melbourne, and I've got a few off-kilter questions that I haven't uh, run by you, Lara, just to, just to check you're, uh, you're listening over there because it's very early in, uh, in Sydney. Awake. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And, you know, I should also draw attention to the fact that we are in these such random parts of the world for this pod. I think it's so cool that we've got Kathleen over in Texas. We've got Lara, you're in Sydney and I'm here in uh, not so sunny London. So uh, we're making it work coast to coast. You would you would never know in the edit. It's like we're all sitting in a cosy meeting room, you know, having a cup of tea and having a chat. So uh, if you're happy, Lara and Kathleen, because Kathleen, you are not uh, safe from the Frame Store podcast dailies. You never know what I'll ask you. Are you happy for me to drop the dramatic sound effect from on high? Oh, yes. I can't wait. All right. So I'm going to cut the cord and we're going to drop the dramatic sound effect. And we are well and truly into dailies. And my first question, and I'm going to ask you both, and I've kind of given it away but it is the law of the podcast, which is who, where, what. It's like it's like I am Lara Hopkins, I'm an alcoholic. Not that you're an alcoholic or, or Kathleen or myself, but it is kind of like the bit where you kind of say, I am Lara and I'm X, Y, and Z. But I'm going to ask it. It's who, where, what. Who are you? Where are you? And what are you working on? But only if you're allowed to talk about it. So, Lara, do you want to take it away? Okay, I'm Lara Hopkins. I am currently in... Sydney on Gadigal land and um, I am working as the head of studio in the Melbourne office and we are working on some fantastic films. Um, 
I can definitely mention that we're working on Furiosa, um, which is the prequel to Fury Road, which I also worked on at Dr. D Studios. So it's very nice to be back working on that amazing film. Um, amongst other shows, which I don't think I can talk about, but they're all very cool and very exciting. I should just mention, actually, Ted. Yes, of course. Blew up the internet, apparently. Uh, the Melbourne team have been working on the, you know, Ted character for very long now, and they absolutely nailed it. And uh, it's absolutely amazing to see their beautiful work go out into the world and have such a, a big effect. So, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's very, very fun. And the real Ted is in the studio and I have no, no way. We need to see photos. <laughs> so he sort of hangs around. Um, he's he's very he's very lo- lovely and very cuddly and not quite as rude. Yeah, exactly. As, as he is as an animated character, holds his tongue when he's in the studio. Um, but yeah, it's cool actually seeing a lot of uh, the shows coming out of Melbourne now. Because when I I remember when we first started moving everybody across the the, the frame store pipe and there was Leave the World Behind was in the building, which has now been delivered and out there in the world as of last year, which is another great show. Some amazing work, obviously Ted and, and Furiosa. So it's nice to be able to actually speak about these shows with uh, with freedom um, rather than uh, everything under wraps. And a rare podcast episode where you can actually talk about shows because the running joke on the podcast is nobody can ever talk about what they're working on. So uh, thank you, Lara. And Kathleen, same question to you. Who are you, where are you, and what are you working on? I am Kathleen Ruffalo. I am in Houston, Texas. And I am the recruitment manager for Framestores US offices. So that means that I'm working on hiring across LA, New York, and Chicago. Uh, right now, hiring's still a little quiet in the United States, but we've got some open roles that I'm actively, you know, meeting with individuals for. So a senior effects TD in Los Angeles, and we're also getting ready for our summer 2024 Launchpad program to begin accepting applications. Of course. So doing quite a bit with university outreach right now, but yeah, just supporting our IA teams across the United States from here in Texas. Awesome, awesome. Yes, Pro- proper hybrid working. I think it's brilliant because you're both hybrid, right? Because, uh, Laura, you're in Sydney, so that must be a hell of a commute for you as well when you are in the office. Oh, look, it's a bit like catching the bus to Melbourne. Is it? It's, you know, I live 15 minutes from the airport. Is that it? It takes, it takes an hour, you know, and it's, that's, it's that's actually my commute. the commute is super easy. Yeah, it, it is actually really easy. And a lot of people do it here in Australia, go between Sydney and Melbourne. So it, it really, there's a flight every 15 minutes really? and wow. it's, it's really easy. And I, I'm in the office most weeks for at least two days. And um, that time is incredibly valuable. In fact, I will be, you know, I spent about four days there last week. I'll be there for a whole week in Feb. Um, my kids are now teenagers and uh, it has uh, somewhat eased my uh, commitments to them, which is really helpful with the travel. They can look after themselves, right? Just just leave their food out. And but are you like sleeping in sweets when you're over in uh, correct over in Melbourne? Just kind of crashing on the on the couches in the the color color grading sweets. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Although it's tempting. I do keep some things in the office there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, change your clothes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and Kathleen, do you do? Do you get to any, uh, any of the US studios? Do you do a little bit of a commute, or do you tend to stay in in Houston? Are you uh, are you getting out and about, or are you too busy recruiting to worry about frequenting the studios? Well, Texas is gigantic, so the know, commute right? would be quite different. Uh, but in the last few years, I 
don't get to travel as much. Um, when I initially moved out to Texas, I did go back to Los Angeles quite frequently. But since mm -hmm. the pandemic, that's quite lessened yeah. since we've been able to adapt our recruitment processes quite seamlessly to being remote. And I honestly think candidates prefer it as well to do yeah. most of their interviews via video you know, call format. So there's not as much as a demand, but uh, I do get to go occasionally and trying to hopefully be able to visit the offices mm. at least once a year uh, in all three. But uh, as of lately, I've been able to maintain a almost 100% remote arrangement from, from here. And like, like you say, I mean, pretty much mo most, if not all interviews are remote, even though there's a lot more in person now. It must make it so much easier for recruitment campaigns. You don't have to worry about giving them the candidates directions, what they need to do when they get to the studio, making sure the, the folk on reception are kind of polite and, you know, all of that stuff. It's literally just click, hey, how you doing? Yeah, finding a meeting room used to be one oh, of the yes, hardest of parts of the recruitment process uh, in our offices. So eliminating that step has been yeah. amazing. My first interview for uh, The Mill, actually, when, when I first got into the visual effects industry way back now, I remember my first interview, I got moved, I think, three times. I went from reception to the MD's office, got kicked out of the MD's office to the CEO's office until we got kicked out of the CEO's office. But it was there was no meeting room, so we just got bounced around. And I'm still here. I'm still here. So they did. Uh, it didn't affect me that badly. So uh, cool. Well, thank you for ask, answering that question. Yeah, I know I kind of cover it in the intro, but I like to ask it anyway. And another thing I cover in the intro is your respective tenure, but I'm going to ask question two, which is how long have you worked here? So, Laura, if you were to add up all of your frame store terms, what does it kind of come out as in terms of years? I think it's, it's about about 15 years, I think. Oh, solid. 15 years, about five or six, yeah, five or six in London, two years living in New York, five or six back here in Sydney working remotely supporting the global network, which is, wow. which is you know, as Kathleen and I sort of pioneered working remotely um, when COVID happened, I, I was like, well, this is going to work because I did it for about five years with supporting the US with, you know, talent and recruitment, yeah. working closely with Kathleen from Sydney. So that's going to be fine. So, yeah. Uh, remote working is not not a new thing for me yeah so yeah it's been it's been a I don't know if I added up to that much but it feels like I've, I've yeah I've had a very I've always popped back to frame store over nice. the years uh, what's your favorite uh studio to, you've worked in what's the what's been your favorite city to work in oh my gosh that's like asking who's my favorite <laughs> child or my favorite dog that's my next question <laughs> your favorite child but yeah maybe start easy I I 100% could not say which is my favorite studio because they all have just such a great feel yeah. and a slightly different feel to each other. And that's one of the things I think that's so great about the Framestore Network. Even thinking about Montreal, I spent sort of six months going back and forth between New York and Montreal, helping them open in the early days. And that was amazing. And I would love to have lived in Montreal, actually. So mm. I, I think uh, they're, they're all they're all fantastic. Um, I guess I probably should say Melbourne. Of course, yeah, that's the correct <laughs> that's answer. That's what I'll be aiming. <laughs> that's, my, that's my goal. <laughs> Excellent. And yeah, Kathleen, what's your official tenure? How long have you been with Framestore now? I've been with Framestore for 11 and a half years now. Wow, 11 and a half years, solid. Consistent. Consistent, <laughs> yes. 
Excellent. The one, the one term. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. But yeah, you both a lot of years between you both. And uh, you mentioned earlier, Laura, you you are the self-styled pioneers of hybrid working, which is a bold claim, but you heard it here first on the podcast, right? I'm happy to take it. What do you think, Kathleen? I think uh, I remember talking to people about how it will definitely work with Kathleen moving to Texas. And, uh, and, you know, I was like, well, it worked with me. And I was in Sydney and Texas is a lot closer. So, Yeah, I think I think particularly in what we were doing, it worked. Mm-hmm. That said, you know, it, it, I think recruitment is so perfectly suited, and if you're supporting multiple offices, it it definitely works. Yeah. Oh yeah, living proof. Eleven and a half years. I mean, come on. That's uh, <laughs> what more do you need? You know, we proved the naysayers wrong. I mean, COVID was only four years ago. So. Yeah, and I think I'm now officially more time remote versus yeah. in office in my time with Framestore. I've been you know, like based out of Texas longer than I was in LA. Yeah. So it's working. We should do a separate podcast. Almost because we were talking about the Access for FX podcast. We should do one on get the best out of hybrid working and get 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 Kathleen Ruffalo on the pod and Laura Hopkins, of course, who was involved in the that historic birth of hybrid working we were talking about. So yeah, brilliant. I'm gonna get these all this in the show notes for sure. And Kathleen, thanks for letting me know the roles you're recruiting for because we do have external people listening. So we'll also leave uh, contact details in the show notes as well. So we're getting into the questions proper now. My next question, Lara, is how did you get your break in industry? So in my very long, this is your lifestyle intro, obviously I went through your, essentially just went through your LinkedIn profile like I do with all my research, very lazy. But how did you get that break? And what would you consider to be your break? Because the break doesn't mean the first job necessarily, does it? It could be a moment in your career where it's like, this is what I want to do. A bit like what Kathleen said about moving into talent. What do you consider to be your break in the visual effects industry, Lara? That's a great question. So um, I'm going to reveal my age again here. I My first job as a production assistant uh, was back in the day before we had the internet. Wow. <laughs> so I found an ad in a newspaper for a production assistant in an animation company, and that was once again pre-digital. So this is a, a stop-motion clay animation company. Oh, cool. I applied for that with a letter, uh, was interviewed amongst uh, hundreds of people apparently, and, and got the job. So I do think that for me my and my career progression, it wasn't that I wanted to be in animation, but I just, my first job happened to be in animation and I absolutely loved it. And I think it doesn't matter which kind of animation that you work in, um, there's a particular type of creativity that comes with it. And I'm really glad that I had that five years in a, in a traditional studio where I learned, you know, how stop motion was made. I, I painted some cells and cell animation. I, I live production managed a, a number of live shoots. So it was really like an apprenticeship of filmmaking with a focus on animation. Mm. So my first sort of dabble in digital was at Animal Logic. That's when I started mm. to understand yeah. more around the um, visual effects side of, of animation. But I think my big, probably my big break was the um, job offer from Framestore. I went to London on holiday um, hit up friends at Framestore, had lunch with Helen Stanley, who's been a, a, a big guiding influence for me over my career mm-hmm. and uh, and a dear friend as well. And, you know, that opportunity to move to um, 
what had become um, outside of the west coast of the states the the global force in visual effects and animation and immediately mm. felt very much at home at Framestore. So I started out as a senior producer in the commercials division and then I moved into the film division as the CG manager when um, Framestore had just started to kick off the, the film and episodic, course, yeah. episodic division of the company. So I, I, I think that for me was a very big, important part of my life to be working globally, to be working in such a, a, an amazing and groundbreaking um, company that had just done Walking with Dinosaurs that was sort of really leading the charge in terms of animation and visual effects production and keeping up with the likes of, of ILM hmm. um, in, in, on the West Coast. So, you know, and in, in Soho at that time, um, there was an incredible vibe between um, all the companies there, you know, MPC, DNEG, yeah. Framestore. It just felt like a really exciting time to be part of the industry. Yeah, particularly at that time, really. I mean, it's way before I got into the industry. I think I caught the tail end of the the Soho kind of heyday of uh, almost that square mile of visual effects companies just dotted around all over that part of London. It must have been a pretty cool time. That's where recruitment was mm. um Going with, I actually remember very clearly uh, one of the CG supervisors um, at Framestore, Justin Martin, who actually is now at ILM in Sydney. Uh, it, there would be a, we need to find some more TVs. Let's go to the MPC pub. Yeah, I was going to say the pub. So yeah. it was a slightly different style of recruitment back then because a lot of it was around sort of talking to people in whichever pub was the opposition's yeah, wow. uh, territory. You could roll into any pub and find a bunch of CG folk or, you know, any industry folk. It was all over, wasn't it? And it still is to a certain extent, but probably yeah. not as, I mean, it, it's a different vibe now. No, it is, yeah. I mean, there's a whole suite of boutiques that have blown yeah. up. Yeah, it was an amazing time in London, mm. yeah. Cool, no, a great, great story. And uh, so for that that first gig at Framestore, you would consider to be the big break and who... What was the interview experience like, you know, speaking about, you know, talent experiences and recruitment? You know, tell me about the uh, the grilling that I'm sure they gave you. So my first interview was uh, was over lunch with Helen Stanley, who at that time was um, in the middle of delivering um, the Levi running through walls commercial. Oh, yes, um, I remember that one. And yeah, quite once again, groundbreaking, very difficult mm commercial absolutely amazing and it was actually the day after the 11th of September the bombing you know the the World Trade Center so it was a very strange time in everyone's lives because obviously we were all sort of grappling with the enormity of what had just happened and what that meant globally but at the same time I was sort of thinking about moving to London Um, Helen liked me she uh, recommended that I come back in and have another interview which was actually with Fiona Walkinshaw who is now my current um current boss yes of course who's the CEO of Film and Episodic and Sharon Reed who is an amazingly inspiring woman in visual effects and was very instrumental in mentoring a lot of women um, in the industry Mm. back then Um, so Fiona and Sharon um, I thought it was going to be a casual how are you let's have a cup of coffee kind of thing and they actually really grilled me I was very unprepared for that interview and when I think back at it, at, at how, you know, I sort of, back then interviews were often just, who you know, hi, how are you? Yeah. Who do you know? Great. Thank you. Yeah. Whereas this interview was very structured and specific. 
and I somehow survived. And actually the funny story about that is that they offered me the job and I accepted and I was, I went back to Hong Kong actually and was offered the job there and I, I decided to take it. And John Collins, who uh, was at the time the, the manager of the um, advertising division in London, um, was on holiday that whole time. And he came back to find out that uh, Helen and Sharon and Fiona had had hired a new producer for him and he was really annoyed <laughs> when I first met him. He was quite grumpy and quite sort of cold and I was like, oh, what have I done? And then over the months as we got to know each other and, and he gained in confidence with me, he confessed that he was really annoyed that I'd been hired but very quickly sort of we saw eye to eye and things turned out quite well. In fact, I introduced him to his his wife, who oh, wow. was a very good friend of mine, Sarah Dowland, who also worked at Framestore. So I think I made it up to him in the meantime. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that was my interview experience. And at the time, just a, a small anecdote, which may or may not be interesting, but, you know, my husband and I were in Hong Kong sitting there do, contemplating at the time where the world felt like it had been turned on its head, yeah. um, whether we would move to London or not, because it seemed a bit crazy, really. Your instinct at that point was to get home yeah, and get safe. Yeah, the world changed, didn't it? You just didn't, didn't really yeah. know what was going to happen. And I rang my dad, um, who is, lives in a very small country town in Australia, and said, you know, we've got this sort of decision to make, this sliding doors moment. Do we come back to Australia? Because it feels like we should come home. Mm. Or do we move to London? And he said, you've got to move to London. You've got to follow that job. You've got to follow your dreams and don't let them win. Yeah. And so we did it. So, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of just uh, not letting, you know, letting what happened affect your life, you know, <laughs> just keep moving forward, keep moving forward. Don't let don't let them win. And I think that's a great, a great anecdote. Thank you, Lara. And how about you, Kathleen? What would you consider to be your big break all those years ago? <laughs> no. you pre-internet as well no sorry <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I would suppose the initial big break was probably getting hired to work on the show Hell's Kitchen that was kind of the first mm. gig that I got that was more than just like two days of day playing on a, a reality tv show because when I moved to Los Angeles I moved with no job prospects and no real connections. I kind of figured it all out once yeah. I landed there and uh, was unemployed for probably a solid nine months of that wow. um, figuring it out <laughs> time frame. but I never gave up. So Hell's Kitchen was the first show that I got where I kind of was hired as a, a season long production assistant. And that was the one that kind of led to getting each following job. Because once you get one, mm you do a good yeah, job. People a, notice yeah. you, they call you back for the next one as they move on. But, you know, the thing that really shifted my getting jobs into building a career was coming to frame store. Cause mm. it was honestly the first time I felt anybody noticed my contributions in a significant way and were willing to give me opportunities to do more. Mm. Um, Cause although working on, you know, sets and being on TV shows, you, you know, you're doing what you need to do and people pay attention when you do a good job, but they're not really there to like mm. nurture your yeah. career in the same way. And they don't really, it's not the cool. same kind yeah. of energy that I experienced once I joined Framestore and everybody was curious about who I was and what my opinion was, even though I was technically their receptionist. And that was something mm. I'd, I'd never seen before. 
Uh, and it was this kind of navigating opportunity of like, what is it that you really do well, you know, because I think you go into these roles or you go into the idea of entering the entertainment industry and you know, the big titles, you know, directors, you know, producers, yeah. you know, you know, DPs, things like that. And there's so many other positions that make it all go that I definitely was ignorant of. So I was really grateful for, you know, Framestore opening my eyes to what possibilities there could be that really actually suit my skill set and personality better than, you know, what I maybe assumed just from the limited knowledge I had. Um, So, yeah, I mean, getting that opportunity to join Framestore LA when they just opened Mm. was really the most critical break in my career because I was looking for a place where I could really grow and, uh, you know, being one of the first, I was like the first original Los Angeles hire. I believe everyone else had come from the other offices to help set it up. I was the first, you know, LA local that they hired and to be a part of that and to help it grow. And now to have been with it ever since has been really incredible and something I'm super grateful for. Such a privilege. That must have been teach all the expats how to behave kind of like a California. Uh, There were a lot of learning curves. I'm sure Lara (laughs) remembers about like establishing uh, an office in Los Angeles. California is very different than even New York for that matter, let alone, you know, London. Uh, So yeah, there was a bit of educating in that regard. And it was just super exciting to help, build those connections and have that network locally and be a, a part of that totally be your la con- la consultant for those early years speak to your your local la consultant on all things uh food truck related and uh it was more know, like juices and... labor laws and... oh yeah of course i'm being facetious for, for overtime cost effects <laughs> yeah and also the best sushi or whatever you know well of course sugarfish yeah, I mean, all of that you know yeah that was i think that was one of, when i went to the mill everybody went to sugarfish oh, sure. when i used to travel to la a lot i'm sure they did i mean what i love about both of your breaks is um the, the character building and the experiences you both had i mean laurie you talked about working on that proper you know stop motion kind of tactile animation must have been such a great grounding for what you do now that appreciation for that original art form and Kathleen as a producer you know working on reality tv shows that we mentioned in the intro must have been hair hair raising it must have been so fast-paced and again I assume you both would have taken so much from those both different but almost kind of relatable experiences to the industry we're all in now is that is that a fair assumption or am I just trying to kind of draw connections like any good podcast host yeah no it is and that's why whenever somebody who's looking for their first break asks me you know how do I decide what to do I said it doesn't matter you Mm. just need to get into your first job yeah it doesn't matter what it is it doesn't define you it just helps you build up from somewhere exactly you just need to get in And I do think that there's a lot of pressure put on recent graduates that they have to nail the first job, that it's going to make a huge difference if they Mm. get into that company or that company. And I just think it is just a building block. And from there, you will meet people and things will gain their own momentum. But if you you worry too much about it or if you become too specific about exactly what it is that you want to do, you're 
closing yourself off to, yeah. to opportunities that you may never actually realize is what you want to do so mm. just give anything a try and things will roll yeah. from there so it's a good example I think for both of us Kathleen that you know you just need that first break and then it will it will it will gain its momentum yeah yeah so every every career journey is a story isn't it there's so many you like you say you never know who you're going to meet what opportunities can come your way what you're going to get offered what's going to you have life events that happen along the way as well that send you off in different directions. And that's what's so fascinating about it. But it's just getting started, right? Like you say, Laura, it's just getting that first kind of out of the stocks moment and seeing yeah. what happens, right? Go with the flow. I keep, I always talk about squiggly careers on the podcast a lot. I mean, regular listeners will be getting annoyed with me right now because it's all I talk about, but it is true. Your career goes all over the place. So wise, wise words. Um, yeah. So I'm going to hit you with the big, warm cheesy question that I ask on every podcast which is what's the best thing about being part of Framestore so Lara what is the big best thing about being part of the Framestore family well it's a good time to ask it given I've just come back so I've got a a good sort of sharp reminder of what that is and uh it's it's going to probably not come as a big surprise to hear me say it is the people of course um i think the people and the work go hand in hand and if you have a team of really talented individuals who collaborate well and share the same values and when i say values it's both values of how you work but also values in terms of the standard of work that you want to see on this on the screen mm-hmm. um you're going to have a, a wonderful workplace and um that's what i really love about being back at frame mm-hmm. store is the is the combination of those two really important things. Yeah, yeah. It's a, you put it nicely about, you know, it's about how we work and the standard. And I think almost if you've got that kind of community, family, however you want to describe it, the right people, then the kind of standard takes care of itself in many ways, doesn't it? I think it's a, yeah, it's definitely a knock-on effect. Um, what about you, Kathleen? I mean, it turns out I'm asking you all the questions, Kathleen. I said I would just pick and choose, but it looks like I'm just asking you all of them. But uh <laughs> What's the best uh, thing about working at Frame Store for you, Kathleen? I mean, the people is the very obvious answer, but I'll add to that to say that the the support, I guess, from the company that I've experienced throughout, you know, my eleven years has been probably what has kept me in that they've offered me opportunities to take on new responsibilities. I think in some circumstances, I was perhaps underestimated by individuals, but they never didn't allow me to try. And Mm -hmm. I've been able to take that and grow a career from there. And I can't say that I think every company can offer that. And that I think is something that is unique to Framestore and something that I really value about it and why I encourage people to consider, I mean, I know they they pay me to encourage people to join us, but, (laughs) you know, I do genuinely believe that you can build a career here and that you can have this kind of trajectory that offers you the opportunity to evolve in both your own personal development and Mm. in supporting the company and achieving its goals. And I think Lara is an amazing example of that as Mm. well. And just how her position has changed in the times that she's left and come back and, you know, and mine as well, going from being on reception to now being the recruitment manager Mm. for the U.S. And I've seen it happen for so many others as well. So I do really feel they value their employees and and want to give people those opportunities. And it's not to say individuals don't have to work hard to earn those opportunities and, Mm. you know, get those new roles and progress in their careers. But the fact that they allow the space for those those chances to be taken, I think, is something really special about Framestore. 
Yeah, so that's a great answer. Thank you. And uh, yeah, going back to that community piece as well. I mean, um, Lara, your story is actually quite, it's a great metaphor for the, for the industry in that there's so much movement, isn't there, in visual effects and animation, whether it be all the people you bump into in a Soho pub in the 90s or, or being able to kind of, you know what, I'm going to go off to Hong Kong and do this thing. And I might come back, I might not. Or, you know, it's like any artist going, hey, they're crewing up. I remember when I went to the mill and ILM rocked up to Shaftesbury Avenue and they just started crewing up for The Force Awakens and we lost a load of artists to The Force Awakens. Like, why would I begrudge a 3D artist to go and work on a Star Wars movie? You know, it's kind of like bucket list stuff. So, but then there's all that movement happening all the time. It's this lovely big kind of churny pot of people just creating incredible work, right? Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's just reminded me of that. Yeah, it's the most one wonderful thing about the VFX industry is that it, it is like a big family. And when people leave, um, I always wish them well because I always know that I will work with them again. Exactly. exactly. You know, there's so many people that I've seen sort of go and come back, and that's absolutely fine. Mm. And everyone needs to chase their dreams. Agreed. Um, and it's 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 a good industry that can support that. It's a it's a great adventure. No, definitely beautiful way to put it. So we're going to move into the geeky section now. Um, and again, I'll involve you in this as well, Kathleen. And I'll leave you alone for a little bit so you can prepare your questions. Um, but I'll start with you, Lara. If you could recommend one show that truly showcases Framestore at its very best, this is a bit like the uh, favorite kid question I asked you earlier. But, you know, what would it be? It's almost the the show you would show to an alien or show to your parents to go, this is what we do. But what is the big frame store show for you or project? Such a difficult question to answer. I know. But I think I am actually going to have to say, I think I probably will say Paddington. Okay. Which I know is, I think there's something about the Paddington films which taps into and reflects frame store's culture. Hmm. Beautiful work, subtle, not overly done, not massive VFX shots that you just sit there sort of feeling slightly numb by, mm. but just with a huge amount of heart and humour and and grace and beautiful storylines. So I think there is something about those films which is pretty magical. Yeah. If you had to ask me for another one, I would definitely talk about the Harry Potter films that, that Frames sort of been working on over the years. I mean, the fact that the hippogriff yeah. is still on many of our show reels, which is, which yeah. is, you know, I, I did work on that film and remember the rendering challenges around it. Every time I see the hippogriff, I think, oh my gosh, those feathers are so <laughs> hard to render. But, you know, I do think that, you know, it's pretty amazing that some of our work that is still, is sort of vintage VFX now still appears yeah. on our reels. And it really just comes down to the ability that Framestore has to create CG digital characters that feel alive and and touch a soul yeah it, it it makes filmmaking it's it's about the best of filmmaking when it comes to those sorts of characters yeah, two, I think. two great examples and are we going paddington one or two just to clarify laura just to make it even more difficult <laughs> oh that's another favorite child question yeah uh look Probably Paddington too. Yeah. I think that film is is a superb piece of That's filmmaking. That's the correct answer yeah. for sure. It's a bit like picking a favorite Toy Story. Isn't yeah, it? it is. It's three for me because it made me cry like a baby in the cinema behind my three D glasses. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't my best Aww. moment. 
Good answers. Harry Potter and Paddington 2, but all the Paddingtons are accepted as well. What about you, Kathleen? What would be the big frame store show for you that you'd want to put out there to uh, an alien race if they come knocking? I've thought about this question because I have listened to the podcast and I maybe I'm going to give an answer just to promote our advertising side of the business for the aliens because they'll also love consumerism as much as we do. (laughs) Um, So I am going to highlight the Pepsi mirrors spot we did in Los Angeles when we first opened, which was with Beyonce, because it was a moment of resilience for the team at Framestore because we were kind of just getting our feet in terms of establishing a team and I think working with uh, music industry clients, let alone a gigantic Mm. pop star like a Beyonce is difficult to say the least on top of it being, you know, a a big uh, brand like Pepsi that you're also needing to please. And we pulled it off, you know, and it was one of those moments where I think everyone lost maybe a year off their life in the process just from exhaustion and all the problem solving that we had to do. But I think it was a spot everyone was proud of when it Mm. was aired and you know, it was amazing to kind of see us accomplish that and how we all came together and just figured it out. And I think it was a really big moment in my personal like yeah. experience working in visual effects and figuring out how you hire people to do these kinds of jobs. I also love the Mog Christmas Calamity spot just because it's adorable. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that one made me cry like a baby, even though. I don't know we can all talk about things it could be that's a whole podcast me talking about things I cry at it's the only thing I cry at I don't cry at anything in real life it's just anything that has a strong narrative art whether it's a commercial spot or a, or a show but yeah I'm a big baby really but yeah yeah great example actually I like your take on that Kathleen particularly with the Pepsi spot that you know it would have started with crewing up and then the journey of the of the project as well and dealing with a titan like Beyonce let alone Pepsi as a as a client I mean we're not here to bad mouth clients but it, it must have been a tough old tough old ride to produce something amazing right yeah which is uh what we're, we're in the business of doing so great examples uh, please go and check these things out on YouTube folks if you're listening particularly the uh, the mirror spot and the uh, the mog spot um so I'm going to hand over to Lara now I want you to talk about a common myth this is where the questions get a really they get really interesting now um, and a bit unexpected, which is a common myth about your job, role or field of expertise. What do people get wrong about the role of a studio lead, whether it's Melbourne or any any studio, Lara? What's your take on that? Well, I, t- I touched on this before and I'll just sort of try and answer this quite quickly. I think because I do come from very much a talent and recruitment background, I think people um, misunderstand that that role is very administrative, mm. whereas actually it's it's actually does involve some very fundamental leadership values and, and skills in that you have to recognise things in people that they might not see in themselves. You have to yeah. uh, be very persuasive in how you um, talk to people and develop that rapport with people that they trust you and that they will take on um, what you're recommending them to do. Um, everything that um, that I've done to date in my career, which has been very much um, talent and recruitment focused, is is really helping me in this new role as head of studio. Mm. There's not a second that I I regret in terms of the years that I've done um, in recruitment and talent that 
that it's helping me so much in this role, even when it comes down to understanding the fundamentals of labor laws and those yeah. those types of things. Um, I'm finding unbelievably helpful mm. here in Melbourne because there's quite quite a lot of sort of operational things that that I'm I'm focusing on smoothing out in the office, and that's that's all coming from my my recruitment and talent mm. background. But really, you know that that role of talking to people and understanding what their role is and understanding what the needs of the role are. I mean, that you do actually end up with a very broad understanding of what it takes to um, run a studio. I, yeah. I, I understand all the roles quite well because I've had to hire for all of them. So if I'm sitting in a meeting about technology, I generally have a pretty good understanding of, of, of what it takes to sort of do things like that. And it's given me some good instinct um, to make decisions because this, this is probably the thing that I knew was coming. I'm not yeah. surprised, but a lot about this role, which is um, something I'm really enjoying, is 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 having to make decisions and being the person in the room that makes the yeah, decision, yeah. and having to sit there basically going, okay, I'm going to go with my gut feeling on this. Uh, one of my many management podcasts that I've listened to recently has said that one fault of new uh, leaders is that they um, it take too long to make decisions. That it's actually better to make a decision quickly based on your gut instinct. And then if it's the wrong decision, mm, learn how to yeah. reset that and go in the right direction than being sort of overwhelmed with making a decision and then just not making one where the team around you feel that they don't have um, a direction to go in because you're holding everything up. So I've really taken that on and to tried to sort of lean on my, my years of experience mm. to just give myself that gut feeling um, to, to sort of make some decisions that that hopefully will, will help move things along yeah. in, in Melbourne. And that's come from everything. Yeah, I've done. so cool. So it's not an admin role recruitment. It's incredibly helpful in terms of understanding how businesses work. Yeah, the, the, I mean, I guess feel free to chime in. Don't you agree, Kathleen? Go on, Kathleen. You can get involved as well. Come on, you might as well. <laughs> um, no, I absolutely agree. And I mean, I can just say from my perspective of having worked alongside Lara when she was in more of a recruitment role, hmm. what I think always made her so incredible was those instincts to help everyone make decisions. Because even when you're recruiting, you really are trying to help the hiring managers make decisions about who could fit for their hmm. team. And you kind of need to give them some of that guidance to just make a decision because you can get stuck in a loop forever meeting more people because they're just not sure if they've there's always that fear of missing out mm. you know when you're interviewing individuals for particular roles and you do have to just at some point say no this is the person let's give it a chance and if it doesn't work out we you know we'll recover we'll figure it out we'll you know either give them some performance improvement plans or we'll just have to you know move on and find somebody that will fill the role so i see how all of that can play into running yeah. a studio not that i feel anywhere near wanting to take on that kind of position but if I, you know <laughs> you like i said i felt like if anyone could do it it would be lara cuz she she just had that ability to you know help people make a decision and i knew everyone trusted her that's something that i yeah. observed throughout so you know I think it is those kinds of years of just talking to people and getting a sense of both from the hiring managers you're collaborating with and the you know the individuals that you're interviewing mm. of kind of what works for particular positions and what people's needs are and you build those instincts for kind of anticipating what those demands are going to be and how people are going to work together all of that you know I think really does yeah. play into it. 
Yeah, you know, that's the first time that's ever come up on the podcast. And we've had a few um, recruiters on the pod uh, already, but that that fact that you helicopter over almost every role in the, the studio. I mean, Laurie, you spoke to that, that these are roles that you've recruited for and you would have spent time with, you both would have spent time with hiring managers, understood the needs for the role and understood the kind of what I call like the science of the role, what, what it's there to do, what it's there to fulfill. And uh, it's that's invaluable, isn't it? I mean, I guess a lot of people would see the role of uh, talent management or recruitment as somebody who's the, who's tasked with getting bums on seats, as we say in the UK. You're there just to kind of fill a fill a gap, and it's so much more strategic than that, right? And so much more built around decision making, isn't it? Because you are guiding that hiring manager, not just in terms of the role, but in terms of best practice unconscious bias making sure you're hiring somebody because they're the right person for the job and not because you like their haircut you know it's a it's a real it's a real it's a real science it's a real craft right 100 so i think that's a great answer both thank you this is very educational for me by the way i'm really enjoying this all right let's keep this train chugging along and i want to talk about uh your most important lesson lara what's the the biggest lesson that you've learned over your your long career, you know, you've been in the game since the early 90s, Laura, you know, what's the big, biggest, most important lesson you've learned? I think it's that that there are cycles in every company and, and, and in every situation. So, and I've seen this cycle a lot, whether it be a strike, whether it be COVID, whether it be, you know, whatever sort of road bump that you're going over, that um, it, it will seem like the first time it happens that you'll never navigate your way out of it. Mm. But in, in the end, uh, you will and things will change again. Yeah. And I think we're just obviously in that cycle right now with the end of the strike and the sort of small moments of of pause and, you know, post-strike, you know, effects that we're feeling. And probably in, in, in a few months, things will, mm. will, will become more familiar again. Yeah. Um, and I also see it in terms of, of people. When people decide to leave a company, um, it can sometimes feel that everything will grind to a halt and how will we possibly cope? But people fill the gaps. Yeah. People step in, step up where you're not sure that they're going to. And uh, there's there's no person that's irreplaceable. Totally. So um, I think I've seen enough of the cycles of, of people coming and going from companies to also not feel too panicked if people decide it's yeah. time for them to go somewhere else. Um, it will be okay. Yeah, I think. yeah. life goes on, right? Brilliant. What a great, great lesson to learn for sure. And uh, again, through your career, you would have seen so many different cycles, like you rightly say, Laura, of big seismic changes in the culture, in life, in work, in how we do business, all the big changes from... We were joking about the internet earlier, but, you know, remember when Google came along, we, had, we could Google anything and that was like seismic, wasn't it? And now you've got AI and they're almost kind of like the same thing, just different, but the same kind of shock to the system. And that's just tech, let alone people and new big news events. We've already mentioned 9-11 as a big seismic shift. So a lot in this episode, folks. Thank you. Really, really great answer. Thank you, Lara. So we're getting to the mentoring and advice section now. And I want to hear from both of you on this one. Um, Lara, who's been your most important professional mentor? I'm asking you all these favourite babies questions, aren't I? But you might have had a lot, of, lots of micro mentors, as Russell Dodgson mentioned, all those episodes ago. Or there might be the one big mentor that you changed your life. Who would it be? Who would they be? It is a hard question um, because I have had many mentors throughout my career, and if there's probably one thing I could say about this question is that 
um, it's made me reflect on how important it is in every workplace that you're in to find that person because I have had a lot of micro-mentors over the years. Um, Mm -hmm. Helen Stanley, who I mentioned before, who was heading up the advertising division in in London, um, continues to be a a, a great mentor for me. Fiona Walkinshaw coming back to work for Fiona Mm -hmm. is amazing because I worked for her in London in the the 2000s. So she's also somebody that I I really enjoy and, and love working with. I also had a really constructive and, and good working relationship with uh, Luke Hetherington, who's the EIC of the uh, ILM uh, Sydney office. And I realise that now that I'm not working with him, mm. how much of his sort of guidance over that, that time has helped me. But if I needed to mention one person, um, it would actually be my the first person that I worked for as a, as a PA, uh, Richard Chataway, who was okay. uh, the co-owner of Anifex, um in Adelaide in the stop motion company. Um, I think I was very lucky to have my first job uh, working with somebody who whose opinion I trust, who had very high values, who treated his staff with a lot of respect. And I think he kind of really set me up with a philosophy of working and a, and a style of working that um, I have sort of kept kept on throughout all of my jobs over the years and I think that's pretty significant if you can have somebody like that that sort of sets you up for success in terms of understanding how to work successfully with other people in the workplace and to be kind and respectful and and welcoming to everyone so I would actually just have have to say that that first my first boss Richard Uh, takes that gong what a great grounding thank you Richard yeah thank you Richard for sure I mean I, I love it when I hear about people who have actually had that first big gig great mentor at the beginning to kind of almost set the foundation for your career because I imagine some people don't have that you know people aren't lucky enough to have that sometimes and that can be really damaging so to have that really strong mentor like I say had that human touch who taught you how to just be kind work hard be nice to people you know support everything we've spoken about on the podcast so far is is a huge one so yeah Massive shout out to Richard if he's out there listening. I mean, the podcast has a lot of subscribers now. You never know, Laura. You never know. I will message yes, you. Yes, make sure you do. Make sure you do. You're getting his flowers. How about you, Kathleen? Who would you cite as being your most important? Uh, well, I get to make somebody probably slightly uh, uncomfortable by saying Lara was clearly my biggest mentor. Yes. You know, so she gets to hear me wax poetic about how incredible she is. And it's nothing I haven't told her before. But... Um, she was absolutely the one that I think believed in me the most from my initial start at Framestore and I think gave me the most opportunity. And I had the ability to watch her and observe how she, even with a high volume of work, still communicated with people and made them feel like the only person that she was talking to and that there was this care and consistency of remembering, you know, all of these conversations she'd had and kind of bringing that all back together. So people really felt seen and heard by her. And that was something that I tried to emulate when I started to do recruitment myself. And as I've already said, just that, that natural instinct she had for commanding a room, you know, even as a recruiter, you're not the decision maker per se, but you still could see the presence that she would demand from everybody within the company when she would say, these are the decisions we need to make, we need to move forward, and everyone listened to her. And those are all things that I've tried to, you know, learn from and apply into how I approach problems and not being intimidated to have the ability to speak my opinion and know that my opinion has 
validity and can, you know, help Mm. us go in a direction that might actually be the right direction. It's not to say there aren't, you know, all of us don't make mistakes and our instincts can sometimes be wrong with certain decisions, but um, I was always so impressed by by that, but more the humanity that she still had behind it all simultaneously. Somebody that was incredibly professional and got things done, but yet you still felt like there was a person behind that, yeah. you know, which I don't think always happens. Um, but besides Lara, um, I'd say Mike Bain, who was our head of CG in Los Angeles, had a huge influence on me and also was someone that I had a trusting relationship with in terms of how to be a recruiter with a hiring manager that mm. he not only taught me more about visual effects and just kind of what he needed from his team members, but also again, valued my input. And we had a very kind of strong back and forth, I'd say in terms of supporting each other and helping us kind of maneuver through building that team out in LA um, Chris Eckhart was also another really strong mentor for me in the beginning and just kind of helping me better understand what skill sets individuals needed to have and, you know, valuable um, attributes that, you know, candidates could bring to particular roles. Um, but those I'd say were my primary ones. Great. But Lara, definitely number one, as she knows, always. Great examples, great examples. How are you feeling, Laura? You're getting your, you're getting your flowers live on the Framestore podcast. Thank you, Kathleen. What's going on for you over <laughs> Just there? Just a most lovely, lovely thing. No, and what a privilege to be able to to say that all to her, her to face. To record it. It's there forever <laughs> and now. It's in, yeah, forever saved for posterity. So, yeah. Just let that, just let Laura soak that up. Oops. Thank you, Kathleen. That's absolutely lovely. Some good stuff in there. <laughs> It's a bit like this is your life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like your funeral. It's all these elegies. Not dead yet. This is brilliant, though. And actually, I love what we're hearing here about human touch, which we don't hear enough on the podcast about. Leadership isn't just about isn't just about making the decisions and the tough decisions and driving the studio forward. It's about being human and about looking after your people and about value. You mentioned valuing your input. I think it's so important if people feel they're heard. They may not be right or wrong or whatever but they're being heard and they're being validated and that's huge not enough people do that you know from what i've seen over the years so yeah great examples i love it what's great great examples so i'd love to spend a lot more time talking about these i'm sure laura would love to hear more about how amazing she is (laughs) i've got to keep the podcast moving because um, this will end up being a three-hour episode and i want to hear from laura about what you consider to be an underrated tool, an underrated tool that's indispensable for you to get your job done, Laura, what would it be? Are we talking about a physical tool or are we talking about a, 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 a skill? It's how you, ever you interpret it, Laura. Okay, if you needed a physical tool, I would say a pen and paper. Yes. And that is not because I started work before the uh, internet, but I do believe no matter how many times I've tried to do my to-do list in a digital way, I still go back to my to my book and being able to write down lists and somehow that goes into my head and helps me remember things. Exactly. Exactly. So yay, pen and paper. Um, if you're talking about um, a different type of tool, I would say a sense of humour. I like that. Um, I think there is something about being able to um, continuously remind yourself that we're not um, – saving lives and mm. when things go pear-shaped we can figure out a way of 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 making it making it right again 
think that's uh, two indispensable tools. Thank you. And thank you for saying pen and paper because I two year last year I did the Escape Studios VFX Festival might have been a year before, and I I chaired a recruitment panel, and at the end I got them all to sign up to the Access VFX mentoring program, and I said right everybody get your pens out, and I got absolutely laughed out of the building because it was all young Gen Z folk who don't do anything with uh, tactile writing implements i got absolutely laughed out like i was some kind of dinosaur just for saying get your pens out so thank you thank you lara it's um, not the first time a pen or a sketchbook's come out yeah. on the pod but it is there and a sense of humor definitely i think is uh indispensable um so we're moving into the last few questions before we uh we take a break and we hand over to kathleen for her grilling that she's caught and i can see she's chomping at the bit to get started is uh, what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone starting out in your field? So if somebody wanted to get to where you are now, Lara, what's the big killer piece of advice you would give them? I think finding a company that you share the values with. And once again, as I said before, just get get in, get any job, whether you're a runner, whether you're an executive assistant, whether you're a PA, uh, once you have started and you identify that person that that you can learn from, follow them and make those relationships and your career will, will roll. Yeah, I love that. So it speaks to what we said earlier about getting on that uh, getting on that squiggly career path, but yeah, shared values and uh, at least having yeah. a bit of a, a target uh, when you're when you're looking to kind of make your break. I think that's great advice. And on the back of that, what's uh, so? This is where we talk about the podcast now, and this is where I see whether I'm doing my job well as a podcast host. Which is, what's one question you wish I'd asked you, and how would you have answered it? Well, if there's one thing that I haven't touched on that I think is quite key to my career, it's how I've juggled motherhood and mm. and and working in visual effects, and that sort of taps into the fact that I do believe that a lot of women start out in visual effects and feel a sense of despondency that they feel if they have children that they won't be able to continue. And that's across both artists and and producers. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no secret that it's hard to find senior producers, and I do believe that a big part of that is because um, producers are often women and they often have babies and they cannot sort of see a way through that. And I think the fact that I'm in this role now in my 50s is a big part of I probably could have taken on this role a bit earlier or or taken on opportunities earlier to do that but I at the time um, felt that I wasn't able to do that as well as um, bring up my two children and so I actually just sort of took parts of the role as a producer or as a CG manager mm. and focused in on for example I became very much recruitment focused for many years which gave me a bit more flexibility yeah. but it just still meant that I was in the industry and I was able at some point and as time went on to be able to even consider taking on a, a head of studio role and I'm glad that it's worked out like that well, a because I had a little bit more life balance B, because I think I, I feel that I've got the maturity and the the knowledge to be able to do this role. Um, even if I could have done it earlier, I'm glad that I'm, I'm at this age. Mm. So I think, and, and when I say motherhood, actually what I think as the VFX industry as a whole should be thinking about is parenthood. And I'm delighted by some of the policies that Framestore um, have been rolling out in their studios that 
enable um, men and women or any carer to be able to take some time off and to be able to navigate their careers. And I think as leaders, we have a responsibility to be able to um, ensure that we um, give people those career pathways that enable them to feel that they can juggle other responsibilities out of outside of visual effects production um, and continue in the field so we don't lose people mm. so that they can continue and pick up because it's a long journey working in visual effects and a linear um, career path isn't necessarily a sign of success. I think everybody needs to give themselves um, a bit of time to navigate their life around their career and it may mean that you take different directions or take a, a more junior role or take a sideways step just to remain in visual effects and be able to do that. But becoming a mother and um, and juggling that has been a really um, yeah. big part of how I've navigated my life over the last um, now 19 years because my daughter God. is 19. So. Wow, what a great. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Laura. And uh, I mean, may I ask, was it always in your was it in your plan to get to a kind of a head of studio role? Was that part of your career ambition or was this, this just how your career's played out, if I may ask? No. Yeah, no, I, I've always just done work that I've uh, been offered and have enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And um, I probably, as with many people, felt that I wasn't uh, able to do that. The imposter syndrome, I think, is is real. In fact, when I first talked to Framesor about this role, I probably immediately thought, oh, well, I, I can't tick all those boxes, so mm-hmm. I probably can't do that role. So um, but in the end, I think um, we all need to take a deep breath and and accept the challenges if it's the right time and it was the right time yeah. for me. So um, I, it, it, now that I'm doing the role, um, I, I feel slightly less imposter syndrome but yeah. uh, you never get rid of it completely do we and I think that's yeah. a that's probably a topic for a podcast there for you Simon always yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm mining this conversation by the way for, for splinter episodes because <laughs> um, I think the the motherhood piece is so intre- so interesting and I've, I've worked with folk who who analyze stats across the creative industry and how there's uh, a lot of females drop there's almost like a cliff edge in industry where they just don't return and there's particularly in production, and uh, I think maybe slightly different post pandemic and hybrid working now, but it's still uh, it's still something that needs to be addressed. I think. But thank you for uh, drawing attention to it, Lara. I think it's an important conversation and definitely something we can explore on future pods. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Part two. We'll bring you back, Laura. Year, year in the gig, we'll get you back for a, a triumphant return. That'd be great. Now. We, uh, before we wrap up this part of the episode, or at least part one, is uh, who would you like to hear on the podcast next and why? So who would you like to be to go through the experience that you're experiencing now from Framestore? And it can be a role or it can be a person. So obviously, I will pick somebody from the Melbourne studio. And I would like you to ask Kiwi, who is, that's her nickname, but her actual name is Kirsten Casey, who's our joint head of model and texture. Um, She's a very talented artist, a fantastic leader. And I think she would bring some really good insights into not only the Melbourne studio, she's been there for a long time, but also some great tips for our, our women in the industry in terms of how to navigate their career to to end up being a, a head of department. So Kiwi it is. 
Kiwi. Well, I, I met Kirsten briefly when she visited London uh, last year. Didn't know she was called Kiwi, but now I do. <laughs> Fantastic. So uh, Kiwi or Kirsten, uh, expect a G-chat from me in the near future. We'll get that, uh, Brilliant. that Melbourne guest in ASAP. Amazing. Thank you. What about you, Kathleen? Who would you like to hear from? And don't say Amy Smith, because I'm never going to get her on. She just, I know <laughs> she, she listens to this. To. <laughs> I know, she wriggled out of it every five minutes. Um, I mean, I guess it'd be interesting to hear from some of the unsung heroes of visual effects Love and that. some of those departments that, you know, might not be like making the shot work themselves. So like people from our data department and yeah. what their roles involve vfx editors you know these individuals that have these positions that we might not actually really understand what it is that they do Mm. and what their perspective is of kind of working through the whole process Mm. love that excellent yes thank you unsung heroes i'm all about the unsung heroes so we'll definitely get more of them thank you very much okay right we're going to get into our kind of wrap-up pairing question now the question that everybody tunes in for which is lara what meal could you eat for the rest of your life and what would it be it's like your death row meal and you've got a no trick answers it's got to be a proper meal well my favorite type of meal is what we call a winery dinner which is cheese crackers um dips chips nuts a little bit of everything with a glass of wine that is 100 percent my favorite favorite mm. type of dinner and that is what i would have as my last meal for it's, sure it's basically snacks just snack bar snacks what they call an Australian but more nibbles. More sophisticated. Oh, nibbles, nibble. I can't yes, do an Australian sophisticated accent. Sophisticated nibbles. Sophisticated. A winery dinner. <laughs> Interesting. I've never heard of that, but I like it. And that's your go-to. That would be gun to your head. That's what you're going to get every day. Yeah. Few few nice tomatoes, a little bit of salad, nice. a good piece of cheese and some bread. And I'm, I'm a happy and a glass of, glass of white wine. That would be my good dinner. Wine. Nice weather. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Cool. All right. I'd top that, Kathleen. What would you? Uh, what could you live on for the rest of your life? Uh, if I'm allowed to have a meal, it would probably be pizza and a salad of some uh, kind. So there's balance, but okay. pizza is an easy answer for me. It's absolutely my favorite. It has thing. to be a certain type of pizza, though. What pizza would it be? You can't just say pizza because that could be all kinds of toppings, right? What's the What's the order? What you What you dialing? The go to toppings are for me would probably be ham mushroom olives i had to think about that i'm gonna go ham mushroom olive is the one i'll always have and then there's the salad that's from a local pizza place here that's kind of this mix of bitter greens um and that's got like parmesan cheese i've been trying to figure out how to make it myself uh but it's absolutely delicious and it goes really nicely with a salad or with a pizza because it kind of balances out with something a little more like acidic and light nice oh sounds wonderful good job i've just eaten because it is way past my dinner time now but i love that two solid answers and my last question is and this is sergio gonzalez our vfx trainer's fault is on episode one when i asked him what question he wished he'd asked i'd asked him it was the music he listens to while he's working so if you do put on a track while you do your deep work while you're doing a bit of planning Lara, what's on the playlist? Because we've got a accompanying podcast playlist where we'll add the song. So is there a tune or a band that you would go to, Lara, for your, your deep work? I, this is very boring, but I never, ever listen no, to music enough. when I work. 
I cannot do it. It would absolutely distract me to no end. And I just like silence, which I know is not what you want me to say. But what I did was look at my Spotify account to see what the last thing was that I uh, listened to. And because in because Australia is completely obsessed at the moment with Taylor Swift, <laughs> who is on her way down here, uh, I was listening to Red, which is my favourite Taylor Swift album. Brilliant. Well, I'm going to trouble you for a track after the, we've recorded the podcast that we'll get on the playlist, Lara, in honour of your episode. I will do that. And Kathleen, you're not escaping this question. <laughs> Give me a tune that you listen to while you're shortlisting candidates. I mean, similarly, music can be super distracting because I typically really like, you know, dancey pop music. But if I put that on when I'm working, I'll just get into the music and I can't yeah. like function. Um, so actually, my husband got me into listening to film scores when I work. So mm. I can't say I've got a super robust list of the best ones because I typically go on Spotify and just search film scores for working and it will play what it plays. Um, but I found that as kind of a nice medium to have some background noise without me wanting to like get up and dance and sing along instead of continue to do my work. Well, do a little bit of research before release day or I'm going to put uh, yeah. the Harry Potter theme on. <laughs> I know the Inception it. score has come up a lot. <laughs> so that comes through. Ah, uh, good show. Yeah, that one. And that, I enjoy that one. A lot of bombs. Amazing. You know. Thank you for leaning into those questions, folks. That brings us neatly to the end of part one. Join us on Thursday for part two, when Kathleen is going to take over the reins and interview Lara. So uh, until then, thank you both. That was super fun. And we'll see you on Thursday. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Kathleen. Well, that was part one. Join us for part two of the Framestore podcast out this Thursday, as Kathleen takes the podcast reins as co-host and interviews Lara. See you then.